1: Years ago, a friend of mine, I'll call her Jean, received a rather unique gift at her wedding shower.
2: You know how women get lingerie? Well, a friend thought she was going to be pretty creative and got me two jars of one with jelly beans and one empty.
1: Wait, so what does it mean to get a big thing of jelly beans in one empty jar?
2: In your first year of marriage, what you're supposed to do is every time you had sex, you're supposed to take one of the jelly beans and transfer it into the empty jar. And so by the end of your year of marriage, year one, you would have transferred the full jelly bean jar to the empty jelly bean jar. How big was the jar of jelly beans? I mean, there were so many jelly beans. It, it was probably, I can't even describe. There was, it felt like thousands.
1: From the Boston Globe and PRX... This is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. So today we're gonna talk about sex and the rules and expectations associated with it. I've learned in writing my column and being a friend to many couples that just about everybody in a partnership worries they're not having the right amount of sex. That not having frequent enough sex in a long-term relationship or marriage is a sign of disaster. Everyone wants to know, what is normal? I don't think there is such a thing as normal. But according to a 2017 Kinsey Institute study, 34% of married couples report having sex two to three times per week. 45% a few times a month, and 13% a few times a year. The thing is, I think that worrying about the frequency of sex can ruin the pleasure of sex. The pressure is greatest, of course, in the early years of a relationship or marriage. When you feel like you're supposed to be doing it all the time, you feel like you're supposed to move all those jelly beans. Here's my friend Jean again
2: actually on the instructions was like, put it on your end table next to your bed. So you would look at it. And so we're like, we don't even have end tables. We don't have real people furniture at that point. So when we bought our house the next year, we were unpacking the china and I found the jelly beans. And it was really good timing, actually, because then we had real people furniture, we had an end table. And at that point, we were actually now a year in, now three years together, 32 years old, and we were trying to have kids. And I'm ultra competitive, so (laughs) we thought this was a good game to have, actually.
1: Okay, so you're competitive, that's fine. But I imagine, especially when you're trying to have kids, it's daunting to look at a fucking massive jar of jelly beans and think... And then you have sex and you only get to move, like, one tiny jelly bean.
2: So I, you know, I am competitive, but I also felt the need to cheat at some point. And so several times I didn't only move one jelly bean. I moved a handful. And at times I would eat them. (laughs) You know, you're like, well, I'd want these to go away faster than I could possibly move them into the next jar. So there was eating of the jelly beans.
1: Jean and her husband did manage to empty that jar, with minimal cheating. They are now in their mid-40s and have two kids. They were quarantined with those kids for much of 2020. Well over a decade into the marriage, there are sports practices, work trips, Zooms, meals to make, family movie nights. It's like exhaustion 24-7. Like, can you imagine somebody giving you that same jelly bean jar now?
2: No, it would never. I would eat the whole thing or I'd dump it in the trash. You know, it would never happen.
1: (laughs) To really get into this question of how much is enough and how reality compares with expectations, I want to tell you the story of a woman I'll call Katie— She's a listener of the show. Katie is married and in her 30s. She lives in the Midwest. To say she's had to readjust her expectations about sex would be a massive understatement. She's had to change her entire outlook on intimacy. To understand her story, we first need to rewind a little. Back before Katie was married, she had plenty of relationship experience.
0: I had two long-term serious relationships before... I ended up with my now husband, and those relationships went for about four years each and started all the way back in high school. So basically from the time I started dating, I just was in long-term relationships, and there was not
1: much of a gap between them. Her first serious relationship in high school is lovely, a classic young romance. The second relationship, which starts in college, is different, more intense in good ways but also in bad ways. I was completely smitten with his charisma.
0: I was very attracted to him, both physically and kind of his whole personality. And we were together for, I think, about a total of four years, but the last year was more on and off. It was a lot rockier. We kept ending it and restarting it, but we were a lot more volatile. We were much less innocent than my first relationship was, and we had like crazy sexual chemistry. And I think we mistook that for a long time for passion and intimacy. You know, only this person could get me on this level because we're connecting so closely like in the bedroom. But outside of that, we were we were pretty toxic. We fought a lot. And then, you know, later on some things came to light that I hadn't noticed at the time about he was cheating and he was gaslighting and he was really manipulative. And it was one of those situations where by the end of it, I knew I needed to be out of it, but, it, but I felt like I had invested so much time in it that like if I just held on a little bit longer, he would grow up or I could fix him. We had this kind of catastrophic falling out and never spoke again after that day, and that was the best thing that could have happened.
1: At this point, Katie decides, I'm ready to be single, super single. I'm going to hit all the clubs. I'm going to wear cute outfits, have one-night stands, check all those boxes. Was it all that you thought it was going to be with one-night stands and nightclubs and whatever Sex in the City fantasy yeah. you had? <laughs> It really was like, it was totally,
0: it was trying to be sex in the city. I think it was all I thought it was going to be in that I had, I always had the best stories when I talked to my girlfriends, like I felt like I had a lot to tell about, but it was like, it was terrible. You know, wearing uncomfortable shoes on freezing cold days, walking around like gross clubs and just trying to get noticed and just, yeah, I, I don't miss it now.
1: It's around this time that a few people in Katie's life want to set her up with someone. She reluctantly agrees.
0: I was actually starting grad school at the time, and I was like, listen, I don't—I'm tired. <laughs> I don't have time for any of this. But it was such a low-stakes blind
1: date. Like, all right, if it, if it doesn't go well, you never have to see this person. Katie, who's 26 at the time, starts messaging with this guy on Facebook. They make plans to meet at a local sports bar. The setting is not romantic.
0: Sticky floors, like Tencent wings. I had just come from
1: work, so I was wearing a dress. <laughs> I was completely out of place. So when you get there and you see him in person, obviously you have seen him on Facebook, you get there, you see him in person, you sit down. Talk about the energy that you felt. So what's funny is I actually hadn't seen
0: him on Facebook because his profile picture was like a cartoon of something, And so it was a truly blind date. I think he may have seen my picture. And as he was walking up, I want to be careful about how I say this, because I wasn't like not attracted to him. But my first thought was like, oh, he's not my type at all. And it wasn't like, oh, God, he's hideous. It was just like, surprise, like, oh, okay, that's not what I had pictured. But yeah, he came up and I think we both kind of had this nervous energy and went inside and and found a seat. And what turned out to be funny is the the reason he picked that place was because he thought they had this one specific beer on tap that isn't everywhere, and they didn't even end up having it. And so we were just there now. And it's like, well, we're committed. Let's hang out. Before they know it,
1: they've had three rounds.
0: I remember at one point, he paused and was like I'm sorry I really have to go to the bathroom because we'd been talking for like 90 minutes uninterrupted and I was like oh thank god so do I and so we you like kind of had to break it for a second and then after we got back we settled up there and then we were starving there was every possible option at our disposal and he picks Uno's pizzeria
1: as the place for us to go to dinner. <laughs> so it's a man after my own heart. He He's a guy who would appreciate the Cheesecake Factory.
0: Yes, you know? yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just when you think of, like, first date, I really want to bring my A game. It speaks to his nature of just how casual. He's just so not caught up in, like, I need to impress you. And that was the thing that attracted to me far and away in that first date was just how, like, easy... And self-assured, without any ego, he was just comfortable in his skin. And I loved that he made those choices and just was like, I just want to have fun. I don't need to impress anybody.
1: Katie sees this guy a few more times, but for a long stretch, he's out of town for work. In these early days, their courtship happens largely over email.
0: We were sending these, like, if you printed them, probably these four or five page long emails telling stories from our lives and our childhood and all of that. We had this kind of slow burn in the very beginning. But I remember being out to drinks with a, a girlfriend and this was like three months in. And I said, I know this sounds crazy because I've only hung out with him twice so far, but I think I might be in love with him. And she was like, Katie that's crazy. Like, you have not spent any time with this person. But sure enough, when he finished that work assignment and uh, moved back to where I was, we picked up immediately where we'd left off.
1: He starts staying over at her place a lot. They have cozy dinners at home. Emotionally and physically, they're connecting really well. I feel like we got to the heart of who we actually were pretty quickly.
0: And so because we had that, like, emotional intimacy and everything was really easy like we laugh a ton and we enjoy most of the same music most of the same activities all that stuff the physical part just came really naturally and we were excited to be around each other and I think we had all that like dopamine or like we were just like so pumped and so we I think we said I love you four or five months in But we started having sex, like, two weeks after he got back. And it was like any new couple, I think, where it was regular and, like, every night when you go
1: to bed and every morning when you get up and sometimes in between. About a year and a half into the relationship, things begin to change for Katie and her boyfriend. The emotional connection is still very strong, but the physical one, it starts to weaken.
0: I think it was more just developing that same comfort level of, like, you're not going anywhere. Like, we don't have to keep this fire burning as hot as it is because, like, we're also just normal people who are doing everyday things. And, like, not every moment of every day is super sexy. And so you start to, like, go out to dinners and then get home and be like, actually, I'm tired or, like, I'm really full and bloated and (laughs) just don't feel like taking my clothes off right now.
1: That's all normal enough. Most couples go through a version of this. You know each other for a while, passion's cool, it happens. But for Katie and her partner, their sex life slows down a lot. Then I think we started to be aware that it was, oh, wow, it's been a few weeks
0: since last time. And then a few weeks became like, oh, it's been a month and a half. And we would check in on it and say like, is that weird, is this a bad thing? Is
1: there a red flag here? And then, what if a month and a half of no sex in your mid to late 20s turns into many months, and then almost a year? When we come back, Katie explains what happened and what didn't happen, and how love letters factors into her story. Okay, we're back. So Katie and this guy seem to be in it for the long haul. Their relationship is solid, even though their sex life is not. I think
0: in the beginning, I was much more like, what's happening? Why are we not doing this as much? And I think he was a little more like, I don't know, like, yeah, I'm aware too. And we should make a point to do that. But like, it started to become a thing more of like, not like a box we needed to check, but like, it it became this like ingredient that we realized wasn't always involved. And I think because of social pressure and everything else it makes you wonder, like, is there something wrong with us? Are we broken? Like, can we be happy forever if we don't have this as regularly as other people do?
1: Like, there's all the comparison stuff that goes on. But you were also happy. I mean, clearly. So talk about that, like, While that was sort of you were this unchecked box, sometimes you continue to grow very much emotionally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it other than like, he's the best person I've ever met. He's my favorite person. But I did, especially I think when I was still like in my 20s, it was still a lot more attuned to like social expectations. Yes, even though we're happy and we get along great and we like all the same things and and we have a blast, why don't we have this thing? Why can't we be the way we used to be? What does it say about me? So, yes, we were happy, but, like, there were
1: lingering, like, doubts. But it's more complicated than just a couple not living up to societal expectations. Katie and her partner don't feel the same way. She wants a more active sex life. He Just doesn't. It's around this time, in April 2012, that Katie writes into my love letters advice column. She signs her letter, Friends with No Benefits. In the letter, Katie explains how she's in this fantastic relationship. But because of the lack of physical intimacy, she fears that she and her partner are basically just roommates. She writes, I feel slightly defective and we're not even married yet. I remember that my immediate instinct, as an advice columnist, was to soothe her feelings of rejection. But I could also tell there was another component to it. I want to talk about the gender piece of this also, right? Which is that doing the column, of course, I get a lot of letters from people who feel like they're not having enough sex. Sometimes it's that they want more sex. Sometimes they're more just trying to get a check of is this okay is this normal right as if there is normal right like I which sounds like you're asking that question too but I think the assumption when we talk about straight cisgender couples you know you're told as a girl and woman growing up like men think about sex all the time oh my god they're thinking about it every seven whatever it is but there is a special kind of pain I hear in the letters of women who are far more likely to write to my column saying they are not getting the amount of sex they want. And so uh, because with it, with the lack of intimacy is also a feeling of, well, I've been told that somebody's going to expect this of me all the time. And I've seen sitcoms where women like roll their eyes and they have to say, oh, honey, I have a headache. Right. Right. And so, like, can you talk about what it was like, not just as a person who was like, are we doing this enough, but also as a woman who was like, are we doing this enough?
0: I totally bought into all of that. And so there was also a feeling of self-consciousness and like maybe even rejection of like, if he as a man is supposed to want this all the time, does he not want it because of me? Am I not attractive enough? Am I not? But then I was like, no, this isn't adding up because to your point, I was the one who wanted it more often and and tried to initiate it more often. And it wasn't like the role reversal of him being like, oh, I have a headache. I I think he was game whenever I would initiate it, but then it starts that tension of, like, I don't always want to initiate it. I also want to feel sought after. I want to feel attractive. And so it just made me start thinking about our whole dynamic and, and sort of how he operates. And I would ask him questions, too, outright, and, like, he gave me really honest answers. And I think part of it for him was, he's like, I'm just not a hugely sexual person. When you think about movies like, you know, like Superbad or like American Pie, and like the whole experience is like, we have to get laid. Like, my whole universe revolves around getting laid. Like, he's like, that's not how I've ever been. I didn't, grow up talking to my friends about it all the time. I wasn't, like, seeking out porn privately. Katie's experience? It's different. I was a much more sexual... Like, I was aware of sexuality very early on. It had always been kind of a fun, free, like, experimental thing. Like, my ex and I would go to, like, toy shops together and pick stuff out. It was, like, a part of my identity. And it was something that I felt protective of but also like I didn't I didn't want to let it go. There was huge resentment in the beginning of like, why aren't you or can't you be who I need you to be? You're 98% perfect and like why can't you just meet me this
1: other two percent? I just want to place this in time though. So at the point at which you are like, huh, this is really becoming an issue for me and I'm trying to make him something he isn't and that's not working You're at an age where you can also very easily walk and there are many options, but like you're in love with this person and this is a small piece of your relationship. I mean, we think about how much time you spend doing it. Even if you do it a lot, it's still not that much time. So can you talk about it? It does not sound like you really entertained seriously the idea of this being a real deal breaker or did you?
0: I thought it through, but I wouldn't say I entertained it seriously where I had like a foot or even a toe out the door. It was like a moment of asking myself, can I be okay? Like, so you have to make a compromise. Like someone's going to have to meet you partway, whether he ends up out of his comfort zone and he's doing stuff that doesn't feel natural to him or I... Sacrifice a little bit and like don't get as much as I want or as often as I want or whatever. And I stepped back and just looked at the bigger picture. Like it's a thing you do occasionally, it doesn't define your partnership. So yeah, I just thought about the grief of like letting go of that part of my sexual identity. But then I thought about the grief of letting go of our whole thing that we had built and like not just the two of us, but, like, the home that we shared and all our mutual friends, and I love his family. And I was like, what a crazy thing for me to walk away from all of that just for, like, some moments of pleasure.
1: I looked back at the advice I gave to Katie. I suggested she tried cuddling on the couch and spending quality time together. I told her back then, when you get close for no good reason, your brain is reminded of the possibilities— I admit I was relieved that I didn't tell her to bail on the relationship. It was even more clear in talking to her now how deeply in love with this guy she was when she wrote me.
0: I liked your advice and I thought it was smart and practical. I I was more frustrated with some of the commenters who were really binary about it. Just like, this can't possibly work. Like, if you guys don't have that sexual chemistry or, like, fire, just leave him now. Do him a favor. Like, let let him loose. And... I remember kind of taking that as like a go F yourself. I really badly wanted to marry him. And I think at some point it just became about like, how do I adapt and how do I recognize that like I can't have both? I can't have the sexual chemistry I had with my ex, but like the perfect, loving human being that I have with my current partner.
1: 18 months into their relationship, Katie and her boyfriend get engaged. They save up some money and then get married a couple years later. So she becomes just another one of those married people feeling judged for not having the right amount of sex. Inevitably, I'm In a group of people who are like, well, how often do you guys do this, and how often, and then and and then everybody feels bad about themselves in different ways. Exactly. But did you find yourself lying ever? Did you find yourself sort of backing like Homer Simpson into the (laughs) into the the
0: shrub? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, In the beginning, I lied for sure because I had uh, the pleaser in me was like I can't face the pressure of not having the right answer, and so it was more important to me to like tell them what they wanted to hear. And then I think just as I got older and more comfortable and just let go, uh, like I said, part of it is we just don't talk about it that often anymore with, like, sisters or, or any of my friends. And then if it did come up, like, I don't know, I'm just in a lot better place of, like, everyone has their own stuff. There's no one right formula. There's no one right recipe. So, like, I'd be honest about it now. Here's this thing that everyone... Has this perception of being like wrong or bad, and actually we're like kicking ass, like we're
1: thriving. So I feel okay about it. How long is the longest you might go without doing that?
0: I think the longest was around like 10 months. It like we almost got to a year, and then it just happened organically, and we were like, Whew, thank God. Like it's <laughs> we've never let it go longer than a year. Do you remember the last time you had sex? It's been a while, Um, but it was fun. It wasn't like a calendar date, (laughs) you know. It was. That's the thing is, like when it's organic, it's nice. When it's just like this is happening now, it's it's great because we did have a couple times where we buckled to pressure a little bit and we're like, okay, it's been too long. Let's try to like set the mood and make it happen. And it's like it's so weird when we try to do it that way, because I can just feel my body resisting it. Like, it just doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel normal. It feels, it's it's the should thing. It feels like this is the thing we should be doing and there's nothing sexy about that.
1: Katie wrestled with a lot of things as she worked to accept the sexual limitations of her partnership. She thought about the very nature of monogamous relationships in which sex is a thing you can only get from one person.
0: We had really honest, candid conversations about that. And I think at one point in a moment of desperation, way back in the beginning, I even like floated the idea of like an open relationship, but he was like, wait, You're joking. And I was like, oh, I'm totally kidding. (laughs) But because it never would have been balanced or fair anyway, because if he's not a super sexual person, it would have just been me out looking for it. And like just this one sided, like it would just be like cheating with permission.
1: At one point, Katie raised the idea of seeing a couple's therapist together.
0: I felt a lot of compassion for him because I think he just felt really embarrassed by the question and, like, it would have been forcing him so far out of his comfort zone. Like, if he was having trouble talking to me in private about sexual things, I didn't want to then put him in front of this stranger who's like, tell me what your fantasies are. Like, I just felt so uncomfortable for him that I dropped it. Once I got over that idea... That I had to give up that part of myself. That's such a binary way of thinking. You can have it or you can't have it. I could still have sexuality. I could still create a fantasy life for myself. I could still find ways of achieving pleasure when I was ready to. And and that fit my timeline. That was super eye-opening.
1: There was even a time when Katie gave herself space to safely flirt with a guy she knew only tangentially.
0: I would only see him every few months when a certain group got together for drinks. And we were definitely attracted to each other. But we were both completely committed and faithful to our relationships. Like, he's a consummate family man, talks about his wife and his kids all the time. I would talk about my husband all the time. But there was a flirtation there that was like a fun outlet that didn't hurt anybody, never took it too far, But it was a certain, like, if I knew I was going to be at that kind of event, like, yeah, I would choose my outfit a little differently. You know, it was something just to kind of reawaken that part of being attractive to someone other than the person who's sort of, quote unquote, obligated to be attracted to you.
1: When we did a call out for stories for this season of the podcast, Katie contacted me because she really wanted to talk about her marriage Because she feels like it's totally socially acceptable for a couple to make compromises over geography or money or raising children. Sex, she felt, was judged differently. Unless there's a really good reason why you can't have it, not having it is seen as this major no-no. But for Katie and her husband, that's not been their reality at all. There is a very public and big and universal expectation about this being the thing that separates a romantic relationship from a platonic relationship. And I just, I don't know that that's ever true. And, you know, it seems like you reached out for this season because you're in a place of peace with it. But like, you know, what would you say to somebody who says, well, I don't know about rules, but you should have sexual chemistry with your romantic partner if you're two sexual people who can do that?
0: It just has to come down to your priorities and what you want in the long term. I mean, this is someone that I want to be with for as long as I can be. We have had in our family some sort of sudden premature death that really rocked us. And so, like, it puts everything in perspective of, like, if I only get this person for this amount of time, what's super important to me? And, like, sex is not as important to me as his partnership, some of the ways he's supported me through anxiety and like mental health stuff that's gone on through how we support each other through career changes and all of that. Like just any kind of seasons of life you go through when you're with someone for 12 years now. And so like, that would be my advice to anybody is just stop with the shoulds. I deeply, deeply love this person. Like, he's someone who I care about all the way down to my core and and vice versa. Each other's happiness is our, our highest priority. We do still have a ton of fun together. I am still attracted to him. Like, when we put some effort in, it's like, oh, damn, like, you look nice right now, you know? So if anyone is struggling with the same question, I think you just have to ask yourself, what is intimacy to you? And then what is kind of short-term reward as far as like great sex versus sort of long-term satisfaction and happiness. And like, if for any reason the sex were to go away, whether it's a medical issue or whatever reason, it's like, what do you have left over that's, that's worth hanging on to? For me it became the difference between like pleasure and happiness and I think those things are often mistaken for synonyms and they're not the same thing. Pleasure is fleeting but it goes away and I think I understood that with my current partner we would have moments of pleasure for sure but like we have so much happiness.
1: Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith does our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can always send your own letter or an advice column to loveletters at boston.com or online at loveletters.show.
0: When we binge watched Mad Men, we drank a lot of martinis and like old fashions because uh, when in Rome. And so that led to some pretty fun times. And there's just like, a, yeah, there's a ton of like cocktails and sex in that show. So I think we just followed suit.
1: No one can resist the horniness of <laughs> Don Draper. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.